title of the message is The Pre-Trib Rapture in Matthew 24. If you could see this, we have a few verses for us here. Uh, We'll begin, Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Father, any minute now we know that you will come. We ask, Lord, that we would be ready, that we would be watching, that we would be prepared. Not only to be saved by the blood of Jesus, trusting in your Son, the sacrifice that he made for the penalty of our sin, but we pray also, God that we would be watching and ready as believers doing what we should be doing, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In the Bible, there are some distinct ages or times. They divide biblical history as well as the future. You can refer to this present age that you're in as the time of God's grace, the time of His long-suffering, the time of His patience. Now, God still judges right now. But this is the time of God waiting patiently for repentance. It's not the time of judgment. There is coming an age of a period of years that has been called by preachers and Bible teachers the tribulation period because there will be much tribulation poured out on earth such as has not been throughout all of history. It is a specific time of tribulation for the whole world but also persecution against God's people, against believers that will not comply with the devil. So I want you to set this up in your mind like this. You are now in this present age of God's patience. But any moment you will enter in this world the coming age of God's judgment on the earth. It'll be like a woman who is pregnant and the travail of her labor comes. That's when you enter this age here. Now, Even now we're seeing signs that this is coming. When you see pestilences and famines and earthquakes and persecution against God's people, you just know that you're getting close to this age beginning and this age that we're in is drawing to a close. So what we're told is that this present age of God's patience that you're in right now 
will grow worse and worse. Evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, says the Bible, until it arrives at the last days of this age. From what it looks like to me, you are in the final ticking minutes of this age before you enter into the tribulation period. You see in the book of Romans chapter 1 that things just hit the bottom when people are walking around justifying sodomy and things like that. Israel right now, a newspaper came out and put a golden calf up there with the LGBT whatever homosexual agenda and said, you know, this is what everybody's doing in Israel right now. And oh boy, a lot of people are upset and angry at the newspaper. They say, we're going to cancel, cancel you. We're going to, you know, uh, you're not politically correct. And do uh, you know Israel is full of abortion? It justifies abortion. Uh, there's not many nations on earth that justify abortion. I, I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing that's going on right now. We are in the last days. Of this age. Well, this age of patience ends with a new age of God's judgment upon the earth. You've heard it that people stand before God, and that's true. When you die, there's the judgment seat of Christ, there's a white throne judgment. But don't forget this earth has an age of judgment. Well, God is pouring out his anger upon this earth. It's a much shorter age than this age. But it builds in a final culmination of judgment with with the Lord coming out from the clouds down to the earth to destroy Antichrist and all of His people. Everyone who is evil upon the earth will be plucked out of this earth. And then you know the millennial kingdom comes with the Lord reigning upon this earth. Revelation chapter 20, they shall reign with Him 1,000 years. After that comes the eternal kingdom. And so, I'm giving you a setup of what's to come. You're in the present age of God's patience. There's coming the tribulation period, the years of judgment upon this earth that culminates in the Lord reigning upon this earth, setting up His kingdom for 1,000 years. And then finally, you have what Revelation calls the eternal kingdom. Now, let me just give you a few verses that speak of this tribulation period that this earth is about to enter into. Matthew 24, 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. You say, well, Christians have had tribulation. There's been lots of wars. There's been communism. There's been all kinds. I know, but that's not what it says. It didn't say there'll just be tribulation like you've seen all throughout history. It said, then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world till this time, no, nor ever shall be. This is no ordinary tribulation that we're entering into. Mark 13, but in those days after that tribulation, that age, the sun shall be darkened. And the moon shall not give her light. And of course we know the Lord descends to earth at that time, destroys the Antichrist, and reigns in Israel 1,000 years. But the Lord says this in Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, this is what you want to do, I also will keep thee 
from the hour, that means a period of time, a short number of years, of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. You are about to enter into this hour of temptation. These few years that the Lord pours out wrath upon this earth. I could go on and on, but I'll give you one more verse. Jeremiah 30, alas. For that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Jacob is Israel. The nation of Israel. This is something very interesting, very important. Before Jacob's trouble can come upon Israel, you have to have the nation of Israel there. 1948, an amazing thing happened that shocked the world and brought repentance to many around the world. The nation of Israel was reborn. 1948. So what's what's happened since that time? Homosexual agenda like never before, pestilences, famines, uh, you name it. And uh, a one world government getting ready to be set up, mark of the beast technology. Wow. You are getting ready for Jacob's trouble because Israel is in the land full of abortion, full of homosexuality and unbelief in the Messiah. They believe in a Messiah, many of them, that are conservative enough, but they don't believe it's Jesus. Oh, there is an awakening of people in Israel. There's an awakening of some Jews that are turning to Christ. But the majority of the nation is is in unbelief. So they're going to go through some fire. They're going to go through some fire. They're going to go through some trouble. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21 speaks of this. It's a double prophecy. The Lord is speaking about what happened a few decades from when he was writing about the wars and the persecution and the terrible affliction that Israel would enter into when they were scattered into all the nations of the world in A.D. 70. But the Lord goes way beyond that to a second regathering of the nation in our day And he shows what's going to happen to that nation. What's going to happen to that present Israel. The Israel we know right now that is back in the land. And he speaks of the tribulation period. So keep these two ages in your mind, okay? Let's now deal with some other terms in my sermon title right now. The sermon title is the pre-trib rapture, church of God. The pre-trib rapture in Matthew 24, you know what Matthew 24 is. Matthew 24 is where Christ was on the Mount of Olives and He began to teach His disciples what was going to happen to the Jewish nation. But as the Bible does so often in double prophecy, He looked beyond it to 1948, the regathering of Israel, a temple being built. Uh, They're trying to build a temple right now. And then finally, the Antichrist coming to persecute And of course, this tribulation upon the Jewish people, it spreads to the whole world. The whole world. As Antichrist rules. Notice this term, pre-trib. What do we mean by that? Well, pre means before or prior to. So I'm referring to something that is going to occur right before this trib 
What do I mean by trib? That's just short for the tribulation period. It's about to come to this world. Something is going to happen pre-trib, right before or right at the time that this tribulation period comes. You might call it the transition line between this present age of mercy and the coming age of tribulation. There's something that marks that line. And when you don't have this line, you end up with great confusion. That's why you have so many people today, they said, I think we might be in the tribulation period. I wonder what seal we're in. I wonder what vial we're in. I wonder where we're at in the book of Revelation. And they're so confused because they don't have any type of dividing line, uh, significant dividing line that they can really point to. So nobody agrees. They've been doing this for centuries. Nobody agrees. I think we might be in the seventh or the fourth seal. I don't know where we're at. We're somewhere and everybody has a different idea. I'm telling you, you're not in the seals or the vials or any of those things. You're not in the book of Revelation as far as the tribulation period goes. You're not there yet. You are in the age of God's mercy even still right now. So what is it that divides these ages? It's the rapture. So there is a pre-trib rapture. Something called a rapture. And it will divide between the two ages. When that rapture happens, you will know you're in the tribulation period if you didn't go. If the Lord didn't kill you at that moment and cut you asunder, you could say, thank you, God, even though I'm left behind. That's not good. But I'm glad you didn't just look down and just get, you know, judge me right there on the spot. I know I got a terrible time to go through right now, but at least you didn't immediately judge me. The other folks will disappear. There'll be some righteous people around this world that will disappear. The news will go crazy. Everybody will go crazy. What happened? What happened? What's going on? Did aliens take them? We have all this UFO, Pentagon, all this stuff happening. They'll say the aliens must have took them. The word rapture is an English word. It's not in your Bible. It's derived from Old French and Latin. The word rapture means to be caught up or snatched away. So that's why it's used um, by theologians. Uh, In earlier centuries, theologians would write in Latin. They would argue, their books would be in Latin, and they would argue in Latin. So they used the word rapture to describe this event when believers would be raptured, caught up to the sky, with Jesus. Let me show you an example. Joseph Mead, way back in 1627. I have Joseph Mead's works from the 1600s, from around the time of the pilgrims, a big old giant book. And uh, in that book is his commentary on the book of Revelation. And he says, the resurrection of those which slept in Christ and the rapture of those which shall be left alive together with them in the air. He's using a Latin word, the rapture, for this thing the Bible calls being caught up. Caught up while you're alive, before you die. Let me give you the biblical terminology. 1 Thessalonians 4. 
Then we which are alive and remain, you haven't died yet, shall be caught up, raptured, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. You're being raptured up to the clouds, but He's coming back down, see, to reign upon this earth. The rapture. Matthew 24, our Lord put it this way, two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, raptured, and the other left. Left for what? To experience the tribulation period. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Every day you ought to be looking around. Sometimes I'm like, where are my children? Where's everybody? Uh Uh-oh. And sometimes it can get a little scary, you know. You're like, I I don't see nobody. Uh Uh-oh. And uh, when you understand the Bible, you know there's going to be a day like that. In a twinkling of an eye. In a twinkling of an eye. This shouldn't be considered strange in Scripture to anybody that reads their Bible. I mean, you barely read a few chapters in the book of Genesis and you read this. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him, took him. The book of Jude says Enoch was preaching against the wicked, saying, you're in trouble, the Lord's coming to judge you ungodly murmurers and complainers, and you're full of all this lust, this is wicked, this is wicked. He disappeared. People saw him disappear. Everybody knew he's gone. He was here, and now he's not. He was walking with God and now he disappeared. Why would anybody think this is a strange idea? Why was Enoch raptured? Hebrews 11, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. He was raptured. He was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, his rapture, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Wow. The flood was about to come, and God took Enoch. Sometimes I call this great event that is about to happen the translation. But people think I'm talking about a translation of the Bible. So I'm saying, okay, the catching away, the catching up. So, you know, sometimes we just use Christian lingo, the rapture, something that we all know what we're talking about, you know. Let me give you some brief history of this doctrine of the rapture. There grew a time in the 1800s when people had become so um, literal interpretation was was growing all over the world, especially in Britain and America. And uh, the idea of this rapture was being circulated all over the earth. And people were finding the Lord's words about, you know what, there's a great catching away that is coming. And they started looking for it. They started having prophecy conferences. We need to get ready. Israel's going to be a nation soon. And of course, the mockers, the atheists, the cults, they said, there's not going to be no nation of Israel. You and you literal interpreters, you don't know what you're talking about. They said, no, there will be a nation of Israel that's coming. And look at all this occultism. Look at these seances. Look at everything. We are preparing for this time. And then the occultists, they come out and they said, oh, yes, this time is coming. Our man is coming. The man that's going to rule the world. 
Satan's son. He's going to come and rule this world. And, and you'll know it because you'll see this transgender thing. These are what the Satanists said. Madame Blavatsky and all of those folks. They said, you'll notice because men and women will switch roles, switch everything. And you'll know that you're right at the door of this great, what they call their wonderful time. They call it their kingdom on earth. But the Bible says that Satan ruling the world and God's going to pull back his hand and allow it. But before he allows Satan to rule this world through the Antichrist, some believers that are in the way of the devil are going to be pulled out of here. So this began to be a popular doctrine. The majority, I defy anybody to prove me wrong, the majority believed that this rapture was pre-tribulational and that it's only for those who are like Enoch who are walking and ready and watching. But not every believer will go up. That was the majority view. I don't care whether you're dealing with G.H. Pember or Robert Govett or a George Peters who wrote The Theocratic Kingdom or Hudson Taylor or H.W. Fry or Sice or J.R. Graves, the great Baptist writer. Finally, you get on up into Watchman Nee and all of these others. And uh, I, I tell you, it was the most popular teaching. You are going to go in a pre-trib rapture if you're ready, if you are watching. And there's a great tribulation coming before this world. And right before it, God's going to translate. Two will be in the field. One will be taken. The other will be left. Oh, there was a great stirring as people watched and did everything that they could to be ready. Let me show you from the Bible that this rapture is for those, not just that are saved, but that are trying to walk holy, wash their garments, be obedient to the Lord and look for His coming. We've already seen Hebrews 11, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. You have to obey God to please Him. That's not just being saved. That is obeying God's commandments. Believers don't like to obey God's commandments today. Look at this one, Luke 21. Take heed to yourselves, says our Lord, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting, just eating recklessly, drunkenness, and cares of this life. You say, well, I'm not a drunkard, but you might just be so busy with the cares of this life. You have no time for church, no time for God, no time to really prepare yourself for the second coming. And so that day come upon you unaware. There's going to be Christians doing all kinds of things, and, and some of them are going to be uh, watching worldly things and, and, and caught up with worldly people. Some people are just going to be busy just, just doing all this stuff, but what they're doing is not for God. They haven't prepared themselves to meet God. And so one day, they're going to just say, why wasn't I taken? Why am I left here? Why am I left behind? For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore, notice, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That saying, as clear as it can say, 
Watch and pray always. Be careful with how you eat. Be careful with everything you look at. Be careful with everything you do. Make sure you're walking in God's holiness and doing everything to the glory of God. And don't let yourself get deluded and lazy and full of cares and and all of this worldly distraction. Because what's happening here is one day you're going to look and people are going to disappear and you're not going to be among them. And I tell you, that's not going to be good for you. We call this a partial rapture. You must watch and pray, be accounted worthy for it. He says in Hebrews 9, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. Listen, and to them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Are you watching for Jesus? Are you looking for Him? Are you saying, Lord, I pray I go up. Let me be found worthy at your coming. You've already seen this one, Revelation 3.10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Are you keeping the word of the Lord's patience? That means there's a lot going on in this world. It might cause you to get angry with God. It might cause you to say, hey, I'm going to sin and join them. No, no, be patient. Be patient. Be patient in your tribulation. Be patient. As the wicked prosper, be patient and wait on the Lord. Before you know it, you're going to be caught up and crowned in a glorified body standing before the throne of God. And you're going to look down like, well, Lord, what do we do now? You better get your fiddle and start praising God. You better start singing and praising. But that's not all. You're not just going to be up there praising. As you look throughout the book of Revelation, those that are raptured help God administer judgment down upon this earth. I'll show you. You've got work to do. God says, you know what? You've been serving me down there. You've been working for me and being obedient. I'm I'm going to promote you. I'm going to promote you. You're you're going up here to the clouds, and you're going to help me judge. You're going to help me judge. Let's look at it from the other direction. Revelation 22. For I testify, says the Lord Jesus, unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things... God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. You mess with this book, you mess with this Bible, you're going through the tribulation period. You live holy and keep the word of God's patience, you're going up. Give it to you one last way. I could give you tons more scripture, but it says in 2 Thessalonians 2, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, that word means to hinder in Old English, Only he who now hinders will hinder, will let, until he be taken out of the way. The Lord says, two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. The Bible says the Lord took Enoch. And then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed. That's the Antichrist who exalts himself above all that is called God. And he sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he's God. There'll be a temple in Jerusalem, and he will sit in there and say, I'm God, I am the Lord of this earth. And he will begin to pour out and kill and sacrifice anybody that doesn't take his mark or the number of his name. But this is what we want to look at. Before this Antichrist comes, whoever is in the way... Whoever is hindering Satan, whoever is exposing evil like Enoch, will be taken out of the way. That's a generic he. He that letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Paul often uses that type of phraseology. He that soweth to the flesh. 
He that soweth to the Spirit, he that letteth will let. I hope you're doing everything you can to get in the way of the devil. I hope you're doing everything you can to watch and pray and ask God that you might escape these coming plagues in the tribulation period. I want to discuss some other ideas right here that I believe are in error. In the second half of the 20th century, Church of God, Dr. Spock arose, pediatrician or whatever he was, with a bunch of psychologists. And they said, don't spank bratty children that are throwing tantrums. And a lot of women began to read their little magazines and they began to say, you know what, I'm, I might hurt the development of my child if I don't let him express himself. And... Uh, I tell you what, when, when you mix this with public school, pop culture, the TV, comic books that dominated the lives of the average Christian, it produced an age of believers upon this earth that will not tolerate anything that deals with responsibility, accountability, or judgment. And they say, well, that hurts my feelings. Don't you tell me God's going to leave me behind. I'm special. Ever since I was a little child, I got to stomp my foot and do whatever I want. And how dare you tell me that the Lord would leave me behind. This reached its climax in the self-esteem movement of the me generation and their children in the 70s and 80s. Soon there arose a generation on this earth that was so full of self-esteem and Christians were right at the head of the pack that even Time Magazine started to mock everybody and just, you know, make fun of uh, the whole idea. Everybody's into their self-esteem. Everybody's looking at themselves. Now you can't even have grades in school unless somebody gets their feelings hurt. Uh, you can't really have a contest. You can't compete because then somebody's self-esteem's going to be hurt. You can't have a winner. And, and it was just everybody gets coddled. Everybody gets the prize. Everybody's the star. This has been going on, folks, for about 50 or 60 years. You understand that in America? And you wonder what's wrong with the world today. I've shown that a thousand times before that Satanism is behind this, Crawleyism, that say everybody is a star, we want you to have self-esteem and worship yourself. So a new generation said... If I'm going to preach on Sunday about the second coming of the Lord, i got to preach the second coming in a way that doesn't hurt the self-esteem of these people that are putting money in the offering box. So i got to tell them that everybody goes in the rapture. When this rapture comes, you're automatically going because you're special. And everything is of great. There's no accountability, no prizes, no rewards, no, nothing that you could lose. It was basically pre-trib rapture light. Second coming with Kool-Aid. So from about 1960s on up, that's what you've had. Anybody they could find in history that taught that everybody goes in the rapture, they were put as the books you ought to read. This was taken to such an extreme that believers grew lazy spiritually. Half the time, they never even talked about the coming of the Lord. You could go to church after church, you never hear anything about the second coming. And if you did, the second coming was stripped of any warnings, any responsibility, any idea that you as a believer could be left behind. And certainly not punished at the judgment seat. 
Well, this reached the final climax with a bunch of novels and movies that came out that were in many ways kind of cartoonish fiction. And it's not that fiction is wrong, it's just that it made such a cartoon out of this that it produced a movement of Christians that if you say, you know, you want to go down here, they're bringing into this big city not far from us a parade where they're in the middle of the streets with children doing vulgar things and somebody needs to stand up and say this is wrong. They say, you know what, this whole thing is going to burn anyway and I'm going to be raptured here soon, so I know I'm leaving. Why don't you just let everything burn and who cares about your cities, who cares about your country, who cares about anything? We're going up. You're going up as a drunkard, as an adulterer, as an adulteress that has not repented. You're going up as a... Uh, look at the wicked gore you're watching in these movies. Look, 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 you have all these things that you're doing. You don't care about the commandments of God, but you think you're going up no matter what. So, once things reach such an extreme of stupidity and laziness and carnality, there's an opposite reaction. So, what began was something called post trib rapturism. It was a reaction. And it basically said, nobody's getting out of here. When things start getting rough, we're all in it until the end. You're not getting up. I'm not getting up. Nobody's leaving here. There is no rapture. That's just some cartoon that somebody come up with. I want you to remember also that the love of money is the root of all evil. So you should be able to understand that a prepping community that arose, and we're thankful for much of it, in some ways we're, we're, we're part of it, uh, but a multitude of radio shows, websites, businesses, books, since before the days of Y2K got involved in selling their products, selling their Berkey filters, selling their flashlights, selling all the things that you could use to prep and get ready for what's coming. They weren't looking for the second coming. They just knew, wow, it looks like everything's just getting worse and worse. You better start prepping. Now, I knew that though the rapture might happen in the year 2000, the second coming of the Lord to this earth is not going to happen. So I wrote articles saying, hold on to your flashlight. Don't stop prepping for calamities after the year 2000. You better get ready for even more calamities coming to this world. So there's people out there selling products. They're selling scary stories and news about what's happening. And we're not for putting your head in the sand. We're not for facing any calamity without prudent preparation. In 1998, I called for you to study wild foods, study nutrition, study health, study self-reliance, study prepping skills. Zopek and others produced Beyond Off-Grid documentary. But I just want you to see for just a second, okay? I want you to see without judging any specific person's heart or anybody's ministry or radio program or vlog, I want you to see why many who are making a living off of alarming you see themselves in competition with the rapture. 
Because as long as there's people out there saying, hey, I don't care about all that stuff. I'm getting out of here whenever the Lord comes. They see that as irresponsible. And they also see it as a doctrine that is so so popular that it hurts their paycheck. If you're trying to make money and support a radio program and sell your goods, your prepping goods, you don't want people out here spreading a rapture doctrine that might keep people from prepping and buying your products. So as I said, without judging anybody's specific heart, everybody must understand that that is a motive. It has to be a rational, reasonable motive for why so many are attacking the rapture doctrine. They want their money. There are also people that have a moral objection to the rapture. They say nobody's doing any good. Nobody's doing any good in their community. Nobody's exposing any evil. They say we're just waiting on the rapture. Well, the true rapture teaching, the partial rapture teaching, takes care of that. Because it says nobody's getting out of here unless they're busy for the Lord. Unless they're obedient. Unless they're being responsible and rebuking evil. And finally, there's something called self-confidence. It's easy to look at people that say, I'm hoping for the rapture. It's easy to look at them and say, you know what, you're just afraid to suffer. You're afraid to die for the Lord. I'm not afraid. You think you're getting out of here in some pie-in-the-sky elevator or whatever that takes you up. Hey, people have always suffered for the Lord, and I'm willing to suffer for Him, so I'm going to go through this tribulation period, and uh, I don't care about any rapture. See, they think the tribulation period, or they're assuming in their mind, it's just a time of pestilence and plagues and persecution and earthquakes and hurricanes. What they don't realize is the greatest age of deception the world has ever known. Did you hear what I said? The greatest time of deception. Are you liable to be deceived? Are you in danger of being deceived? That's why I say self-confidence is in the way. They say, oh, I can go through the tribulation period. I'm not worried about the Antichrist deceiving me. Really? Matthew 24. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. There shall arise false Christ. How do you know you got the right one? False prophets. Some of them are on the radio right now in conspiracy circles. And shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Aren't you afraid? You have no fear at all, no alarm that you might end up being deceived by this delusion? You say, I'm not going to believe in no alien delusion. Do you have a prayer to God that you may escape the coming age? Are you that confident in your faith, your discernment, your loyalty? If you are, you're right where the disciples were at the time of Christ. In a bad way. Peter said unto him in Matthew 26, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Likewise also said all the disciples, Yeah, Lord, 
Yeah. The Lord said, hey, a really bad time is about to happen. They're going to come kill me. I'm going to suffer and all. And I want you all to be ready for this time. They said, ah, if that happens, we won't deny you. We'll die with you, Lord. Yeah, I will. What about you, Jamie? Yeah, I'll die with the Lord. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're not going to run. Oh, yeah, we're fine. We don't have to do anything. We don't have to watch and pray. So he said, I want you to watch and pray. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And he saith unto Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Lord, don't tempt me. Don't let me fall. What that means is, Lord, don't allow me to enter into this temptation. But Matthew 26, 43, and he came and found them sleep again. Well, they were tired, but they also didn't feel the need to pray, not to enter temptation. The Lord says it's going to be a special time, more dangerous than usual. You need to pray. Pray not to enter it. Pray not to enter it. They didn't pray. Why didn't they pray? Because they said, I don't got to worry about it. I'm not going to deny the Lord. And let me ask you a question. Do you pray every day not to enter into temptation today? Wake up. Do you pray every day to not be led into temptation? How many of you begin each day, Lord, please let me not enter into temptation today. Don't don't try me, Lord. I'm weaker than I realize. You say, no, no, I haven't prayed that. I don't think I've ever prayed that. Well, look at this, Matthew 6. Jesus says, after this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation. The Lord said, this is how you pray every day. Lord, feed me. Forgive me of my sins. I pray your kingdom comes on this earth. Lead me not into temptation, Lord. Now let me tell you something. It's been said by numerous Christian writers in the past that one can largely measure the degree of sinful self-confidence by the place prayer has in your lives every day. Little prayer means you're full of self-confidence and self-reliance. A lot of prayer, it means you depend upon God. And you know you need God. How much more when God says, you need to ask me not to lead you into temptation. That is a sign of your humility. But when you say, I'm not worried about that. Let anything happen today, Lord. I can take it. I can handle it. I'm all prepped up. Now let me tell you something. What if on top of God telling you every day to ask him not to enter, not to have you enter into temptation? What if Jesus said, now I want to tell everybody, there's coming the worst time that's ever been in the history of mankind and ever will be. It is the worst time of temptation the world has ever seen. The worst time of deception and trial that this world will ever see. Now listen to me. You got to pray not to enter that age you got to pray not to go through it. 
any Christian that feared God and had even an ounce of humility would, would, would tremble and say, God, I've already looked and seen what I've done with my Christian life. That's without this horrible age. That's without the devil being unleashed in full throttle. If I'm only this holy right now, what am I going to be? If all this temptation comes upon the earth like never before in the history of mankind, Lord, please lead me not into that day and age. Let me escape all these things that are coming. So, Mr. Post-Tribber, allow me to pray to my Lord that I can escape like Enoch escaped. You call me a coward all you want. I wonder if you've stood up to half the things that some of us have stood up to. But I'm going to tell you something. Maybe you are Mr. Brave Man. Maybe you are all prepped up. And you ought to be. But I hope you will permit me to humbly go before my Lord obediently and say, Lord, I pray that I do not enter into this coming temptation. I pray that I I do not enter into this age. I think some people ought to read the Psalms and the Proverbs and the rest of the Bible about what humility is. There's no fear. There's no humility. There's no felt need to cry out to the Lord and plead with Him. Count me worthy to escape, Lord. Because Thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep Thee from the hour of temptation. God, I want to keep Your word. Deliver me from this time of temptation which shall come upon all the world. Watch ye therefore and pray always. That's a command. That you may be accounted worthy to escape all those things, all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. He's talking about the tribulation period. All these things refer to all the things that are mentioned. What are those things? Let's see. There's going to be great earthquakes in diverse places, famines, pestilences, fearful sights, great signs shall there be from heaven. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you, persecute you. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Boy, that's a lot of stuff there. Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Wow, I don't want to be there. Post-trivers say, well... People have gone through suffering all down through the ages. This is just one more suffering. No, it's not just one more suffering. It's the worst ever to be upon the history of mankind. All that live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're not talking about just suffering persecution. We're not even talking about dying. We're not not just talking about martyrdom. We're talking about Satan unleashed with the greatest deception he has ever poured forth. With the most charismatic, beautiful man that can do miracles. And all the world will worship him. And he says, I'm here to liberate you. It's all about love. I'm an evolved being. That's why I can do all these things. I meditated my way and I evolved and I'm an alien, whatever. And I'm going to show you how you can be a God. You say you can resist that. And if you're here, I hope you do. But you better get some humility. And you better say, Lord, um, I noticed that Enoch was walking and he disappeared. I noticed you took up Elijah in a whirlwind. 
I notice that you said two will be in the field. One shall be taken, the other left. Um, God, will you please allow me to escape all these things? The post-tribber says, well, okay. I will pray to escape all those temptations in my dugout. I'll try to hide from the Antichrist, and I'll pray to escape him. I'll hide from him. But where does it say you can escape like Enoch did? Why why don't you look at it again? Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know know not what hour your Lord doth come. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for the Lord took him. So the post-tribber now, he says, um, hmm. Well, when you read through Matthew 24, this is something that happens at the end of the tribulation period. How can you read Matthew 24 and 25 and not understand that it keeps cycling back and forth time-wise through the whole thing? How can you read the book of Revelation and not understand cycles? How can you read all the parables in Matthew 25 that the Lord continues in the same message and not see that each one is cycling through the same time period in a different way with a different picture? For the most part, there's some some diversion. Well, let's see if this is true, that this is a post-trib event. Let's look at the context. Matthew 24, 37. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, so before the coming of the Lord, it's going to be like in the days of Noah. Wickedness poured out upon the earth. For in the days that were before the flood, keep that in your mind, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, though one shall be taken, and the other left. When you see this word coming, people often read that word like this. That the Lord's going to come from the third heaven and boom, right down, He's going to be on the earth. He came. He went from third heaven right to the earth. What if the Lord comes out of the third heaven and as he comes down, he stops in the sky above the earth? And what if he stays there? In a last moment of mercy, he besieges this earth. And what if one by one, he opens up the seals to his title deed as the one you got an imposter down here, Satan and the Antichrist, that thinks he's going to reign upon this earth, and he gets the time. But what if the Lord undoes those seals to his title deed, and he just waits there, and he just waits there, and the whole time judgment is being poured out upon this earth till he finally descends, and everybody screams and hides in the rocks, and they say, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. What I'm telling you, What makes you think that you can 
only, what makes you think that there's not a coming with cessation? It's not going back and forth. It's a straight coming, but it might have points of stopping. Was the first coming in stages? Remember, the king of Babylon sieged Israel. He sieged Jerusalem. They said, oh no, the king of Babylon's coming. So he came, but he parked outside the gates of Jerusalem. And he just stayed there year after year after year after year. Finally, he made his way all the way in. You're telling me our Lord can't come to the skies above this earth and besiege this earth? He can't camp outside just a little while? So what I'm saying is the Lord's going to come from the third heaven to the sky and He's going to besiege this earth and He's going to call up His ready and watching people as His army generals. And He's going to call you up and say, get ready, we're going in. Get ready. You ready? Okay, I got you a new armor. I got you, uh, so I got you everything you need here. You're going down. You're coming in with me. Let me show you a coming that is in stages. Numbers 31. These are the journeys of the children of Israel which went forth out of the land of Egypt with their armies. Moses wrote about, he wrote their goings out. And they departed from Ramses in the first month. And the children of Israel removed from Ramses and pitched in Sukkoth. And they departed from Sukkoth and pitched in Etham, which is in the edge of the wilderness. And they removed from Etham and they pitched before Migdal. And King Arad, the Canaanites, the Canaanite which dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the coming of the children of Israel. Was that a coming, brother? Still awake? Was that a coming? That was a coming, wasn't it? They came all the way from Israel, and they came, and he was afraid. He was a Canaanite. He said, man, they're coming. They're coming. They're coming, but they came and they stopped. They came and they stopped. They came and they stopped. And he says, oh, man, we're in a lot of trouble. They're about to be here. That's a coming in stages with some cessation. But it's still a coming. Read the whole chapter, you'll see it. So this is what you see when you read Revelation 4 and 5. You see John, there's a throne set in heaven. Well, there's already been a throne in heaven. This is the sky above earth. There's a throne set in heaven. And all of a sudden the Lord says, come up hither. And John goes up, which is a picture of watching believers going up. And then you see a picture of watching believers figured by four beasts and 24 elders. And they have crowns. We're said to get crowns at the second coming. Then in Revelation 5, they are said to be redeemed from every nation, every tongue upon the earth. They were redeemed from the earth. To make a long story short, Revelation 4 and 5, before the tribulation period ever breaks out in Revelation 6, you've already got some Christians raptured with the Lord in the sky parked outside of this earth. He's going to wait there in His presence until the end of the tribulation when He manifests 
his fullness of glory and flaming fire and comes down to destroy Antichrist. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. It sounds like they're partying it up. doesn't sound like you're at the end of the tribulation period to me. But even more significant, notice that Noah and his family entered into the ark before any flood came. The one event that divides the line between God's grace and mercy and God's judgment in the flood was Noah entering into the ark. That's the dividing line. Whereas in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving and marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The Son of Man is going to come to the sky above this earth. And in that coming, two things are going to happen. Some people are going to enter into his tabernacle, his ark, they're going to, he's going to say, come up hither. And then this coming of the Lord is going to begin to pour out judgments upon this earth like the flood. The flood came. The Lord's coming will bring judgments. But before those judgments, Noah must enter into the ark. What's the next verse say? Then two shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Somebody's going in the ark. Somebody's going in the ark. Some people are going into the ark. And then what comes after that? Hell's unleashed upon this earth. The flood comes because the Lord has come to this earth to besiege it. We have a clear division. Those that are like Noah and his family will be taken into the ark and those who are left outside the ark will experience the flood of the tribulation period. Now I want you to notice, Noah is shut up in the ark before the flood. Before the flood. It says in Genesis 7, The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. What you want the Lord to say unto you right now is come with me up here into my tabernacle uh, because I'm about to come down because I've seen you righteous. In this generation, I'm looking down and I see you and your family righteous. Come with me into the ark. Of every clean beast shall thou take to thee by sevens, the male and his female, and of beasts that are not clean by two, the male and his female. Before the Mosaic law, no one knew what was clean and unclean for food. For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days. It had never rained before, and forty nights. And every living substance that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the earth. So what happened is, God shut up Noah and his family in the ark. And then it began to rain. Maybe they ran and played in the rain a little bit. But it began to rain more. And the windows of heaven were open. And the floods from underneath were unleashed. And before you know it, there was water everywhere. And they're still partying. Then there's water. There's water. There's water. There's water. 
and all of a sudden the ark is lifted up high above the earth, higher than the mountains. And here's the ark, and every living thing on earth died. What's going to happen is the Lord's going to come out of the third heaven. You're going to hear a trumpet. He's going to say, come up hither. And anybody that's like Enoch, anybody that's righteous like Noah, anybody that's in the way of the devil, anybody that's ready and watching and has their garments, anybody that's obedient to the Lord is going up in the ark above the earth. And then that flood's going to come. He opens that first seal. And what you see is plagues and war and bloodshed and the Antichrist and martyrdom and suffering and deception. It's all released upon this earth. And they went in. Went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. Woo, that's what you'll want. God raptured me out of here and shut me up. The Bible says He saves you from the strife of tongues when everybody's against you. And the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bare up the ark and it was lift up above the earth. You're going to have something like a 40-year tribulation period. I don't know how long it is, but it's going it's to be long. In the middle of that, you're going to have a three-and-a-half-year period that's the worst of all. But what I'm telling you is before anything happened, Moses and his family were shut up in the ark. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. When the Lord leaves the third heaven and ends up in our sky somewhere, I hope he looks down and finds you doing something for him. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. He's going to rapture you up. And he's going to give you a job to do in administering judgment upon this earth. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. As a post-tribber, you have to say that. You have to say, he's not coming tonight. See, I believe the Lord can come before I finish this sermon. I believe before I finish this sermon, the Lord can come from the third heaven to the sky of this earth. And before I finish this sermon, there could be people in this church right now that will disappear. Hopefully all of us. Disappear in the right way. But if you're a post-tribber, you have to say, ain't no way the Lord coming tonight. I guarantee you. I swear to you, He's not coming tonight. He's not coming next year either. I swear to you. See, they have to, they have to push the Lord's coming way off somewhere. But the Bible says, the evil servant says, my Lord delays His coming. You got a problem here. You got a big problem. And he shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, I believe the falling away is a moral falling away, but I don't believe the falling away is just moral falling away. I believe the falling away is God looks down and he sees there's some people 
that have backslidden. They're walking in sin and worldliness. And they're also spreading false doctrine that hurts the churches of God all over the place. And I believe God looks down and says, yeah, there's going to be a falling away. Because I tell you what, once I hit the sky above earth, He's going to basically judge and cut some people asunder. So I believe the rapture is like this. It's like this. If you're walking in sin, if you're walking in rebellion, if you're speaking wickedness against righteous people, if you're eating and drinking with the drunken, if you're spreading false doctrine all over the place, I'm going to tell you, here's what's going to happen. At any minute now, when that come up hither happens, the righteous believer is going to come up and he's going to get a crown stuck on his head. The wicked, carnal, rotten believer is going to be cut down by the Lord Jesus Christ in flaming fire. And he's going to go depart. I believe in eternal security, but I believe in a judgment seat of Christ, and I believe in a partial rapture, and I believe God can kill you at any time. How much more so in the day of judgment? If He can kill you in the day of His long-suffering, like Ananias and Sapphira, then He can certainly kill you in the day of His judgment when He's not being as merciful as He was. You say, okay, so the most wicked Christians get immediately raptured and slain. The godly Christian gets raptured and crowned to administrative duties in the sky. What happens to the lukewarm? Well, what would you do? You've got peach trees. You walk out and you see a rotten peach. Pluck that thing off. Toss it. You see a ripe peach. You take that in. You eat it. You use it. You see a green peach. What do you do? You leave it. Leave it for what? To ripen. Ripen by what? The sun. The sun in the Bible, Matthew 13, tribulation. So some of you are green maybe. Some listening, God forbid that any of us are green. But I tell you what, if you're a green, lukewarm, compromised, settled down, Christian, settled on your lees, you've got three possibilities any minute now. Immediate death at the judgment seat of Christ, being caught up because you're rotten and spoiled left behind to endure tribulation and hopefully you'll repent and get some sobriety in your Christian life or immediate rapture to the throne of God to be crowned. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He shall cut him asunder, appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Peter says, for the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. I wonder if anybody's ever noticed that. Judgment begins at the house of God. The age of judgment begins at the house of God. How can the age of judgment begin at the house of God if you're a post-tribber? The age of judgment begins at the house of God because at any minute when the Lord comes from heaven to this sky above earth, that start, that is the coming beginning. That is the first stage. And the first thing that happens, He looks down and deals with believers. The rotten believer, the lukewarm believer, and the right believer. Judgment begins at the house of God. Judgment began with Noah. Noah, come into the ark. You're righteous. Dear Holy Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Now we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus that right now everyone that has heard this message would repent of any sin that's in their lives. Would want to be ready We'd want to take your commandments seriously, God. 
Father, we don't want to be in rebellion against You. We don't want to be in rebellion against God's people. We don't want to be name-calling and despising and looking down on God's people because they're obeying commandments that we have let just go to the wayside. We don't want to be one of those ones calling people names, despising those that are good. And Lord, we don't want to be careless and lukewarm and lazy and just not excited to pray, have no yearning or zeal to pray, feeling no need to pray and ask you, God, please account us worthy to go. Please account me and my family worthy to go tonight, Lord, if you come. Or if it be in the morning before we even wake up, Lord, put us into that ark. Put us into that tabernacle that you said you're going to hide in the clouds, God, from the strife of tongues. Lord, I pray, help us be saved from this deception that's coming. May we watch and pray always. May we watch how we eat. How we deal with our cares. Just let us be ready, God. Now, Father, we want to be wise and prepare for rough times that are coming. We want to study how to feed ourselves and how to be ready for calamities. But God... The biggest calamity that's coming any minute is not a famine. The biggest calamity that is coming, Father, you have said so, is not pestilence and disease and even persecution. The biggest calamity that is coming, the most dangerous thing that is coming is any minute judgment begins at the house of God, Lord. Any second judgment begins and you look down to see who the Noahs are, who the Enochs are, Lord. You look down and there's going to be calamity, God, among your people as some are cut down, some are left behind. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Lord. And so many with their theology and all of their false doctrine, they're not going to be prepared for this day. And they're going to ask, why am I left behind? Now help us, God. May you give us mercy. May we start prepping, God. Really prepping. Preparing to meet thy God. Any minute now, in Jesus' name, amen.